Hello and welcome to the Healthy Empath Podcast. Today I am joined with Dr. Edith Ubuntu Chan. She is a globally recognized holistic Chinese medicine doctor, speaker, coach, and author of the amazing Amazon number one best-selling book, Super Wellness. Her journey began in 2003 after a series of meditation-induced mystical experiences that changed her perception of human possibilities forever. Since then, she has devoted her life to unlocking the secrets of our human potential. Her work weaves together ancient wisdom with the latest in science, medicine, and spirituality. All right, Dr. Edith is awesome, kind, compassionate woman, and I'm so happy to talk to her. She, you know, she's got a great book. She does a great podcast. She has a, you know, a very extensive academic background with a doctor, doctoral degree from Five Branches University in endocrinology and neuromuscular medicine, a four-year grad degree, American College of Traditional Chinese Medicine, uh, bachelor's in laude in applied mathematics from Harvard University. So she has a very extensive background, and she's also just really someone who is embodied in her herself, right? Knows who she is and just went on the hero's journey and now is, you know, experiencing and expressing her soul and her gifts to the world. So thank you very much for being here. Let's, uh, let's get started. Thanks for having me. I, um, Mike, we were just chatting right before we, we started hitting record that it's so beautiful. These, these days that we get to connect with soul family, you know, we're all coming out of the woodworks and recognizing that we're all sharing basically the same thing, but there's a reason that that essence of what we're sharing can be candy wrapped in different ways. So it's delicious to different people, you know, so it's so nice that we get to um, reconnect, I should say, not connect and um, just support each other and learn and grow together. Absolutely. Everyone has their own little special sauce to put on the package. Yes. Yeah, I got lots of chills. I'm feeling good. So can you start it, start us off just by going into your health journey? Yeah, how did you get to become an expert in the health field? It's funny you say expert because <laughs> I just feel like a student, you know, I'm um, just like all your audience, I'm sure, just learning and growing and being curious and asking lots of questions. And I wrote this book called Super Wellness because, as you mentioned, I have a bunch of degrees. And, you know, in school, we learn all this philosophy. We learn all this academics. And then in real life, you kind of start wondering why real life isn't quite like what they say in the textbooks. And you apply a lot of the stuff you learn in textbooks. For me, as a clinician, as a practitioner of almost two decades now, and I keep scratching my head. Like they say, you know, like a lot of my clients and patients that come to me have probably just like your audience outgrown the old sick care system, right? You you've woken up to the fact that health is not just the absence of disease and illness. That treating or curing conditions. There's a lot more to it than drugs and surgery. Like, I'm certain that every one of your audience has woke up to that already. But what about the next paradigm of um, you got to eat right and exercise? You got to eat right and exercise. And so my clients would come in and they're already eating a really clean, beautiful, organic diet, really precise with their food choices. They already work out regularly. They have um, yoga practice, Pilates practice, and so on. 
and I'm scratching my head at the number of people with complex, often quote unquote incurable, even though we know that doesn't exist, like incurable finger quotes, conditions come in and I'm so confused. How much more could they do with their diet and exercise? Like I, I can't even find anymore, right? And then one day the question came to me, like <laughs> the big light bulb, which now in hindsight seems so silly. It's like, what if diet and exercise isn't the number one key? What if the game changer is beyond that? And I bet a lot of your audience is, is in that space too, because you guys probably already eat pretty healthy, work out regularly and so on. And maybe you still feel like there's a whole other level of health and wellness that's possible. And just like that, it was like the floodgates open and you just got to laugh at how simple it really is that, that we've been in some ways sold a bill of goods. Like we've been sold the storyline that our health and wellness has to be so complicated. But you guys, sorry my for crying baby, is nap time. Should we go back to Baba? A little guest. Hi. Um, I discovered that we've kind of been sold a bill of goods, that we think that health and wellness has been so expensive and complicated. And the only reason for that is that we've kind of been um, indoctrinated into buying the story that, that, you know, our health comes from all these external things. And the reason for that is that there's a big marketplace for it. So for example, I started realizing with my clients that whether they be high performance athletes that are looking for super high um, breakthrough performance in their sports competitions, or my patients that have those complex, you know, often things like autoimmune complicated conditions, that it turns out the most simple, free self-care practices were the biggest game changers. Things like breathing practice, Things like making sure we spend time in nature, just basking in the sun, sleeping in complete darkness, and richness of human connection, like just, um, you know, just taking time to reconnect with old friends and um, forgiveness of past um, situations. Simple, commonsensical things turned out to be the biggest game changers for everybody. And I came to see that basically we've got the whole game backwards and upside down in this world. That was the conclusion I came to after a while, that because there's so much profit in driving people into this disempowering storyline, that health has to be so complicated. We have marketing and advertising bombarding us with messaging that, oh, um, you know, take this purple pill or whatever. But not only that, even in the diet and wellness industry, a lot of times we're sold commercials of like, oh, healthy eating has to be so complicated. You need to know all these different um, complicated nuances to eat, eat properly. When what I started discovering is that, wow, if we support people in deeply reconnecting with their own bodies, deeply listening to their own bodies, um, slowing down, practicing mindfulness of eating, 
people blew my mind open to the possibility that each individual human is their own best nutritionist. And so the support that is the biggest game changer is guiding people back into a way of listening deeply to what their bodies are trying to tell them. So bit by bit, little by little, gradually over about two decades, I discovered all these things that in essence, basically just returning people back to their own inner empowerment and that health and wellness is actually that simple. And as a side effect of that, when you do have a situation where you want to seek help from a professional, from a nutritionist, from a health coach, that inner connection being alive allows you to get 10x or 100x the results than you could have before when you were not connected within yourself. Because that then at the end of the day, you realize that, well, all these um, health coaches, doctors, so-called experts out there, actually they're here to support me. They're here to help me live my most joyful and authentic life versus the old paradigm, which is like, I don't know anything about what I want. I don't know what my body, how it works. I know nothing about how any of this works. So I'll just listen to whatever the doctor or expert out there says. And that's, that's really how we got into this big hot mess to begin with. So, so simple, returning home back to ourselves. Beautiful, beautiful. When you were describing that, especially in the beginning, the what what came to me was really, and you, you ended up saying slowing down too, but it was just like slowing down and being human. <laughs> when you were talking about, oh, you just you know, just breathing, getting in nature and real darkness. It's just um, if I had to, I guess, simplify that and it's just really is just just slowing down and being human and you know what what does a human need and what is what are you even doing here as a human kind of thing and like we've lost touch with our with that humanity and with nature and so we are you know disconnected from all these different things and then disconnected from our bodies so then we we don't even know and we get where to start and we get locked into that little bubble of just only being able to analyze like you know food and exercise I, I wrote a post today about like asking better questions or asking more powerful questions so and I used to think of that a lot too so with uh with these health issues instead of like you know is my macro ratio like okay like do I need to rearrange that or you know may, should I be doing this type of high intensity workout versus you know this one and like those those aren't the questions we need to be asking you know we need to be asking like, am I connected with myself am, am I nourishing my body, like, you know, what else could I be missing that my body isn't getting? Um, uh, I should say, um, sorry to interrupt you. I should say okay. that I did learn a lot studying all different kinds of like nutritional systems, but learning to take that kind of thinking and expanding it to our life. So let's say um, you've probably heard of this thing called the crowding out method in, um, in nutritional counseling, this idea that let's say you have a client that's eating uh, super junky foods and you're like, don't eat the potato chips, don't eat the potato chips, don't eat the potato chips. Just like that just doesn't work. That game does not work. Instead, support them in focusing their time, attention, and energy on having nutritious whole foods, you know, eating the colorful fruits and veggies, for example, as a side effect, they're nourished properly and they're likely to eat a lot less of the ice cream and potato chips. 
right? That's called the crowding out method. Well, the game changer for me is to realize that we need to apply the crowding out method to our whole life. That what is truly nourishing to you in your whole life and give yourself that nurturance. And I call these actually essential nutrients like breathing properly, like natural sunlight, like spending time connecting in nature, like sleeping in darkness, like rich interpersonal relationships, or downtime to chill out and do nothing but just be. Those are actually, I've discovered, essential nutrients for a human to thrive. And if you don't give yourself that, you're going to feel, quote unquote, hungry all the time. And if you're hungry all the time, it's kind of game over. You're going to grab those like potato chips and, and ice cream because you feel like there is something empty that needs to be fed somehow, right? So expanding. So I'm really grateful to all the tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars I spent on all of these different certifications in health and medical training, but actually taking that thinking and expanding it to just our human life, like how do we architect a human life where we're nurtured and nourished and supported in our well-being in a proper way? Yeah, and that goes back to the questions too. So instead of maybe should I do you know vegan or paleo, you know, the next month, like asking, going deep within and asking, what am I actually hungry for? Yes. And really reflecting on that. One of the testimonials that I share um, often is someone I work with who, you know, we, we did that work. She, she even got uh, some type of like, you know, stomach or like surgery or bariatric surgery to, you know, for, for weight loss and then still didn't lose weight. I was like, how's that even possible? And then we were, we were doing a healing session and we tapped in to that question. Like, what are you actually hungry for? And she said, love. You know, she started crying immediately and she was like, you know, it's almost like embarrassing to admit. It's so hard to admit, but it was actually love. And then like ever since then, she just like drastically changed and like lost hundred pounds over a couple of years and then continually kept it off from that switch of awareness and realizing what are you actually hungry for? It might not be love, it might be just quiet, <laughs> you know, yeah. stillness, just <laughs> darkness, all these things that you talk about. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And um, so this actually is kind of coming up. So a little more, I want to hear what you have to say about this. I was writing on, or working on the healthy empath book and kind of just like in that space where it just, you know, feels like you're just almost like channeling, just like writing from the heart. And, you know, I'm kind of like learning as I'm writing. And it was this connection between your relationship with food and your relationship with God or you know, life. And, you know, a lot of the people that I work with, you know, at some point we all have to heal our, the projections that we, you know, we project onto God. And then it came up with food. And I saw that people's foods, the way people eat and like how people eat is connected to the relationship with, with God or with life. Yeah, and when we, cause food is life, right? Every time you eat, you're saying yes to life. And so, you know, maybe you could talk about your, the fan diet in a moment, but like part of that is, you know, does this make you feel alive? And so people who are just, you know, eating a food that doesn't make them feel alive, doesn't make them feel good, it's because they have this like kind of negative relationship with life and maybe they're not sure why they're here or they don't like have meaning. And yeah, does that bring up any, anything for you? Have you ever thought about that? 
Well, um, so the, the book, the super wellness book is based on the six week super wellness class that I've been teaching since 2012. And, um, I'm a pretty easily bored person and it be, it was, it's been a riveting journey of hosting this class now 26 that we're about to go into our, I think 27th round of the class because every time people teach me so much. And in the six week class, week number four, we spent an entire two hour class doing mindful eating practice. And that class, the kinds of insights that people come up with, the kinds of things that people say, it sounds like Rumi or Hafiz had entered the room. And we put on blindfolds and we eat our food to learn about ourselves is exactly what you're talking about. We chew every bite 30 times, 50 times, 100 times. We track everything about how it feels, all the sensations that are brought up, all the memories that are brought up. And towards the end of that exercise, the, the inquiry is, they say that how we do one thing is how we do everything. So as you experience this mindfulness of eating, eating as if the very first time getting so still, feeling all the sensations, what did you learn about yourself? How does your eating practice show you how you are in the rest of your life? And so what's so interesting is that immediately most people come to guilty thoughts, like I'm to this, I'm to that, I'm to that. And so, which is fine because we're here to learn and grow and, and improve and become a better version of ourselves. But I often have to prod even harder to invite people to drop into what about the beautiful parts of your relationship with food? Let's focus on that. I'm just suggesting balance, you know? Our minds tend to be so critical of ourselves and maybe there's some beautiful things about your relationship with food that you'd like to magnify and cultivate even more. And so a lot of people say, wow, I'm adventurous with my food. I'm, um, I love to share. I love to be generous, you know? I love to use food as creative outlet, as an art form. I love to use food to learn about different cultures. And so I encourage not only the, the room for improvement, but also the strengths that you want to cultivate, you know? So um, a lot of times that brings up also people's connection with the spiritual dimension, exactly like you say. So getting deep into our eating is, um, is, is a really powerful practice. And I know you wanted me to share about this other piece besides the mindful eating which is really there's two pieces that i would love the audience to to wrap their minds around that i think could be really powerful and helpful which is when you eat there is one what you eat and then two how you eat consider if you're already eating the perfect what but maybe it's how right i don't know where people are at with that but Often people forget that both of those things are important because good nutrition is not just what you eat, but what you're able to digest and assimilate properly into your body. And when we eat under stress, eat on the go, a lot of times, a lot of my clients are eating a really healthy diet, but they're just like, 
I'm going to make this joke. They're making expensive poop because they're eating under so much stress. They're not even digesting and assimilating. It's just like, oh, it's all in the toilet. And, um, you know, it's very expensive. So I suggest eating maybe less quantity, not by calorie restriction, but by slowing down and really savoring your food properly. And then when it comes to choosing what foods to eat, Mike, you had just mentioned about this fan diet. And uh, should I explain the fan diet? Yeah. Okay, so like I mentioned before, after many tens of thousands of dollars of different certifications, um, in clinical practice, I started to realize that I don't have one single patient that perfectly syncs up with any one diet. And that this is something that is not static at all. It's something that is constantly evolving at different age groups, different seasons. Your body is asking for different things. When you're very vigorous physical activities versus more, um, a little bit more mellow and sedentary lifestyle, like that changes everything. A woman's menstrual cycle has her physiology different each week of the four weeks of each month. She should be eating a little bit differently based on where in the month cycle. And what about, you know, you guys are about to give birth. Congratulations. As a pregnant mama, I'm sure your wife has noticed completely different nutritional needs. than yeah, Meat and sugar. <laughs> okay. And then um, during nursing is completely different, right? And each pregnancy is totally different. My two babies they needed different things and they spoke to me about what nutrition they needed. So I would be missing out on a lot if I just listened to the so-called experts out there following some rigid diet instead of listening to the most expert nutritionist, which is what my body is showing me. So all of that is to say, I discovered is actually really simple that every time we eat, we could just ask ourselves three simple questions. You guys ready for this? This is a game changer. It's going, is that called this the diet that makes all future diets obsolete? Three simple questions. It's called the fan diet. Question number one, is this fun and tasty? Because your body will speak to you based on nutritional needs. For example, clinically, there's something called a zinc taste test. Everybody knows that zinc is really important for um, your immune system, for hormones, for a lot of things. If you're zinc deficient, you can actually drink this thing called the zinc taste test, which is like a diluted zinc solution, and it tastes like a really delicious mineral water to you. If you're not zinc deficient, when you drink this stuff, it tastes disgusting to you. Like people practically spit it out because it's so yuck. That's the kind of thing that happens when your body needs some vitamins and minerals. It will taste really, really good. If it doesn't need it, even though that vitamin and mineral is beneficial, oversaturating your system is not great either, right? So your body will speak to you. So fun and tasty, there is signs and magic to that. So always listen to that. And of course, if it's not fun and tasty and if you eat under a kind of like stress or because I'm obligated to, then your body's under stress and it's not going to digest and assimilate this stuff. So fun and tasty is rule number one. And there's a reason that is rule number one. So if you only focus on that, there's already magic there. Rule number two is when you eat something, do you feel alive? 
do you feel a kind of like aliveness in your energy systems? Like, wow, that was a good energy that I received with eating this food versus, you know, food that you eat and you immediately go into a food coma. We've all had that experience before. And so that's not some external person saying, this is good for you, this is bad for you. It's your body speaking. And so that becomes a sustainable way of so-called healthy eating. That is not about rigid, militant following of rules, but listening deeply and lovingly to what your body wants or doesn't want. And the third rule, so we've got fun and tasty. Does it make me feel alive? The third rule is... Does it cause no negative effects? And that can take a little bit to tease out. And that's the reason why I support different ways, like different, um, different books and systems out there that helps you with some guidance about elimination diets or allergy testings, different ways. So it takes a little bit more work to tease out the negative effect piece. And so in our super wellness program, we do a juice cleanse and then after taking a break off of suspicious foods for two weeks, then you can gradually reintroduce things one at a time to figure out what's causing possible negative effects in your physiology by eating certain foods. But by always asking these three questions, does, is this fun and tasty? Does it make me feel alive? Does it cause no negative effects? So many of my clients and patients have told me, wow, I've tried all my life, all different diets and programs. And finally, I lost those extra 15 pounds. Finally, I found a joyful way of healthy eating that is sustainable, not just um, for this bikini season, but for the rest of my life. And this timeless principles that will never go out of style, whether I'm 30 or 80 or 100 whether I'm pregnant and nursing or single and not nursing, you know, like it just depending, it, it's simple principles that will always help you be successful in healthy eating. So I, um, if, if <laughs> I love the word fan too, we always say if it fulfills all three rules, I'm a fan. If it breaks any of these three rules, I'm not a fan. Uh, that's too simple, you know. It's, it's supposed to be more complicated, right? No, right. <laughs> and this yeah. is the spirit of so many things. Like, like, and and it feels like the same that you share too. It's like bring this kind of um, awareness to every aspect of life, not just the diet. So, so then the the cracking the code on your diet or any one aspect of your health then becomes super interesting to you because it's there to show you something and teach you about the principles of life. So I feel like I cracked the code on healthy eating and that showed me like, wow, I could apply the fan, fan diet principle to everything. It's fun and tasty. Does it feel alive? Does it cause no negative effects to my relationships? I like to talk to people like you where it feels fun and the conversation makes me feel alive and there's no weird energy that causes negative effects in my life. Just like it applies to everything, the businesses that you start, projects, everything, how you choose to approach your exercise routine. So I hope that the audience listening can, can um, choose, you know, choose to apply this not just to their diet, but consider this for all aspects of life. Yeah. Yeah, I, I taught very similar things with nutrition, but more lately, 
I've been saying applying it to movement as well, like you just said, because um, that's something that people are always looking to do and helping women break out of this like calorie mentality when, yes. mentality mentality yeah. when it comes to when it comes to exercise and just you know it's really hard to do that. So if they can just kind of look at it as you know energy moving and then having fun and all these things that you, you mentioned, I think that's a, yeah an extra great one to apply to the movement principles. Um, there's so much in there. I don't even know what to comment on. One thing I, is interesting though, that with this relationship to life, right? Like, you know, how you, how you eat is how you live in a way. And when I, one of the times in Mexico, you know, when I was doing all this deep work, I had this experience for the first time ever. I never even knew I was doing this that I ate without asking myself the question, did I have enough? And I realized that I asked myself that after every single meal. And every time I finished eating, I would go, did I have enough? I don't know. Like, should I eat more? And then I was able to see that translate into a broader picture of my life and how it related to like enoughness or scarcity versus abundance. And, you know, always in this question, like, am I going to have enough? Do I have enough? And yeah, I was so being able to see that so clearly in food and then being able to have the experience for the first time to not ask that question to, you know, eat a light meal and feel totally nourished. I mean, I'm a little different than a lot of people listening. You know, my was more related to, you know, being like a big muscular meathead and like, you know, Oh, did I eat enough to keep my big muscles kind of thing? <laughs> uh, especially like, you know, in college and, and it was like cool to be big and bulky and just like kind of, yeah, seeing it there, but then also related to all, like this other scarcity stuff when I was there in Mexico, you know, working on like the, the PTSD and safety and all this kind of stuff. So enoughness was related to that. And so, yeah, it was just like, wow, like it was such a cool feeling to just like finish a meal and be like, of course I had enough. Like, that's not even a question. Like that's not, like the word enough doesn't even exist. Yeah. Uh, it's not like that all the time right now, <laughs> but they're deep in the midst of that work, man, that was, that was incredible. So yeah, I recommend. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That is so powerful. And I'm sure all of your audiences, um, everybody can relate to that. The gift of um, expanding, um, you know, the healthy living to understanding that it comes from things that are like natural sunshine and sleeping in darkness, and time in nature, and breathing, which is free. Um, thinking about the crowding out method, a huge side effect of that is you realize that all this free stuff is so crazily abundant, so abundantly available all the time, you feel like energy just overflowing out of you. And as a side effect, when you eat, it feels like almost like extra. And so putting all those pieces back into that correct context, I should say, a huge side effect is that you live in the state of abundance again, because you realize that nature and life and this, the, the universe has always got your back and that it, it opens your eyes to see that actually the things you really, really need are so crazily abundantly available. There's not just like, oh, okay, I have enough. It's like, I have way more than I could possibly need is the experience of it. I know this just sounds like the philosophy, but I encourage all the listeners out there, take up a breathwork practice every day. 
take up a practice of um, spending time in nature and sunshine. And, and it becomes not a philosophy anymore. It becomes just, just like, wow, a lived experience every day. And gradually over time, because the programming is so deep in our upbringing for all of us, you know, through our school system, through the money system, so many things. But it takes a bit of time for us to really start to see like, wow, um, all the best things in life are completely free and so abundantly available and just so grateful for the abundance that we all have and wishing that everybody else could tap into that too, you know. For sure. And you've experienced this directly in your darkness retreat, correct? Right? When you uh, when I'll let you explain it, but just all of a sudden, like when you weren't even hungry, I mean, I didn't go do that or near the length of it. But even when I just did like a, you know, a few day vision quests, dry fast, the biggest surprise to me was like, oh my gosh, I didn't get hungry at all. And I didn't really even get thirsty except for this one like hour on the third night where I, it was a very interesting <laughs> hour, but like, but it wasn't even like a, a real like physical thirst. It was more of just like a, this kind of I don't even know what to call it. But anyway, so yeah, I was just so surprised. Like, how am I not hungry? (laughs) So can you talk about, yeah, just like when you're truly in your body and free from distractions, you realize like food isn't even what your body is calling for. And then, yeah, when you come out into the the quote unquote real world, there's more stressors and there's more, you know, we just, we're kind of eating, we're grounding. It helps with the distractions, but deep down in, like you don't need that much food. This is such a deep conversation because, um, okay, so I'll just just um, give some background of what happened. Um, in 2013, I went to this amazing retreat called the Dark Room Meditation Retreat. And um, some audience members might have heard about this, but if you haven't, I'll explain a little bit. So meditating for prolonged days in darkness is part of a lot of traditions. And the modern science is saying something like after you've saturated your melatonin levels, after about three days, you start to make consistent doses of DMT where you go into a visionary experience. So the ancient Chinese Qigong masters, the ancient yogis, the Egyptian alchemists, um, a lot of different traditions. There's a group in Colombia called the Kogi Mamas that have um, this practice of bringing up their shamans, teachers, and seers in a dark cave mainly so that they perceive that non-physical reality so deeply that that is they're fully anchored into that dimension of life as the true reality and this physical dimension as kind of like um, a projection of that, which is the case, but that's not most of our experience, right? We kind of know it because we've explored spirituality and consciousness, but these guys actually are brought up in that reality. And then when they're adults, they come back out into the physical world and interact with the rest of the people. And so I had the taste of that possibility by going into this retreat in 2013 um, for 11 days. It's an 11-day retreat where the first day and the last day were in the light, but the middle nine days and nine nights was in complete darkness. And it was in a retreat center called Tao Gardens in Thailand, which is started by Mantak Chia, famous famous Qigong master and author of, I don't know, maybe 30 books. A lot of books. (laughs) Yeah. And so Mantak Chia has this specially built building where he tried to make the energetics of it as natural as possible, as like a cave as possible. So he built bricks using the local soil. 
and is a brick building that is trying to mimic the energetics of a cave. And then there is modern amenities, beautiful bedrooms around the perimeter. And the middle is a meditation hall where you have individual meditation mats for everybody to meditate in. And so um, Mentachi is awesome and famous and very powerful teacher. Um, but I was not as drawn to his methodologies as I was to another teacher named Jazz Muheen who teach us in a much more soft and feminine and fluid kind of way, not as masculine. And so I felt drawn to Jasmine Heen's way of doing dark room retreat. And so she rented the room and she does this annually in March and April. And um, a group of people go in the first day you put on, some people put on blindfolds to kind of practice navigating the building. And then the first night happens is lights out for nine days and nine nights. And what I discovered right from the get-go is I've lived in cities all my life and I had never properly experienced darkness. And that um, I'm so hungry for complete darkness and I didn't even know it. It was like a kind of food that I didn't know I was hungry for. You know, I realized that we all live in this kind of light pollution modern life, and most of us don't know how deliciously nourishing complete darkness could be. And the best analogy I could make is like, let's say you've been living in a polluted city all your life, and the air is not that good, not that clean, and all of a sudden somebody just teleported you into a rainforest, and you go, whoa, oh my God, I had no idea that it could be so delicious and nourishing to just breathe prana and oxygen, you know? It was like that with the darkness. And then gradually, at the first few days, I was so deeply restful. I slept almost like the whole time. And then by the fourth day, I was so well rested, I didn't feel to sleep for the subsequent six or seven days. And so it was just a 24-7 visionary journey of so many insights and so much beauty and so much remembering of Did it things. go by fast? No, it, because you're not sleeping, a lot is happening. So many things. And, and kind of time is, um, you know, not the same in that state, of course. And, and I'm sure you can relate to that. And um, the only thing is that Jasmuheen would ring a bell three times a day approximately. And when she rings a bell, you have about 15 minutes, to, if you choose to, to go from your bedroom to the meditation hall where you can join her for a guided practice, for example. And so, um, so yeah, so there was some amount of structure. So I had a sense of what time of day it was, but towards the end, I was able to just perceive outside the building very easily. So I could just like, just like take my consciousness outside the building and see, oh, it's sunrise time. Oh, it's sunset time. I could just perceive that. Um, but because this 24 seven continuous meditative state, it feels like lifetimes of things occur in that time. So, so in a way it was very fast and very slow at the same time, because you're kind of time is so different you're you're kind of in a state that is beyond time and space you know we were just so nourished by this experience that you didn't even get hungry the whole time so um 
medical disclaimer, everybody. Um, I'm gonna about to talk about something called breatharianism, which maybe you've heard about this idea that you can be nourished directly by chi, by prana, by the energy that's that's moving through you in a deep meditative state. And um, and so I had the experience of complete loss of hunger where I didn't feel the necessity to eat. But I should also say that that is a very specific kind of physiological attunement that I don't think it's that easy to achieve. It takes a lot of cultivation. And, um, and I'm concerned about people who research these things and, and don't have the right support system and go into prolonged fasting and doing dangerous, silly stuff. You know, So please, if you choose to do prolonged fasting, please do a lot of research. Please be gentle and patient with your process. And please get the right medical or professional support to do it safely. I've seen people that jump right into say dry fasting and really hurt themselves, for example, you know, so it's no joke. It's a, it's a serious matter and, and should be taken seriously. In dark room retreat, most people have done a lot of different kinds of cleanses. They come into dark room with very clean bodies to begin with. So I'd been on the health journey for like a decade and a half by that point, right? Done a lot of juice cleanses and different shorter fasts and many things like that. So by the time I went to dark room, every morning, Jasmuheen guided us in this beautiful exercise of tuning into our bodies, talking with it, asking it, you know, um, asking it how, can you, can I pause for a second? Honey, what's going mm -hmm. on? So in darkroom, every single morning, Jasmuheen guided us in this beautiful exercise of massaging and connecting with our bodies from head to toe and giving gratitude. And you don't have to do this in the dark. You could, I encourage everybody to do this every day, maybe in the shower. But what happens is you become so deeply connected to your body that you start listening and dialoguing with your body in a different way. And I started having all these insights about past times when I wasn't always kind to my body and making amends with that and recognizing how I could be kinder to it in the future, how I could listen deeper to it. And so after you get into that state, she has you ask your body, body, what is your prana percentage? And what is your cosmic hydration percentage? I think that was the term that she uses. So she doesn't call it fasting. She calls it source feeding. This idea that when we're dropped deeply into that state of inner connection with source, that we can be nourished in a different way. So it's not really fasting. It's like we're all hybrid vehicles. We're nourished by our food, but we're always nourished by the breath, by the sunshine, by darkness, and by our inner spiritual connection. These things, there's like many ways to nourish ourselves. It's very fluid and flexible, you know? That reminds me real quick of something I heard Ram, I think Ram Dass say, he was talking about, he said, I didn't eat, and they told me I was fasting. Yes. Good one. Exactly. So Jasmine calls it source feeding that we're nourished by source. And she's like, people think we're not eating, but we're eating all the time. Like every millisecond we're being fed in this way. And so she has your ass and um, it just so happened that my body was saying, I'm being 100% nourished by source right now. 
So I just took a day by day listening to the body and my body didn't ask for food. And so they provided juices, abundant amounts of juices and my body was not asking for it. So I was just listening to that day by day. And, um, and by the fourth or fifth day, um, Jasmine said, you know, um, are you drinking water? I think if you're dry fasting, quote unquote, I don't think she uses that term, but, but um, I'm getting guidance that you should be drinking water. So I started drinking water. There's water everywhere in this retreat, like every, every other corner. They make the water very easily accessible. So I had this unusual experience of the body having no hunger and hardly any thirst. And, um, and because the food and even water contains information, right? So all that taking of things from the outside in can be a source of distraction. And I didn't know if I would ever do that deep of a meditative journey again for the rest of my life. And so the not eating food was really a great gift because I could go really deep without distraction into the med meditative state. And when you're in dark room, just like what I hear, I've not done ayahuasca, but other people that have done uh, visionary types of journeys, you've all had this kind of experience where, where you, you go into a meditative state and you get this um, insight, right? This knowingness, this, this information comes through, but it also comes through in the 3D omnivision kind of like visual extravaganza of an experience so when the information comes to you you don't have doubt anymore because it all your senses have been tapped into that knowledge your physical experience that inner knowingness but also the visual experience is so vivid that you have no doubt and when you come out of an experience like that you can't help but change your life you know it's going to change how you choose to live you can't unknow what you've been shown you know yeah yeah that's just such a cool experience to have gone through and there's you know so much in there i'm sure you learned lifetime's worth of <laughs> things from it and about yourself and about life well, there... I that, um those those people sorry to interrupt you that the kogi mamas um i actually had the gift of uh, on the energetic plane they a number of them came to visit and taught me a few things and i'm so deeply grateful and so honored for that like experience. and um and i had the the realization interacting with them on that level but also just just from my experience of these nine days and nine nights were so profoundly life-changing what if you were lived nine years or 18 years or 30 years as some of them have in this state at the end of it you're a completely different breed of human right just like it's a an um uh, an alien from another planet would come here and be like, wow, how do these people like type so fast with their thumbs on this little screen? That is a miracle. It's because we've spent many years cultivating that skill. Now imagine if you spend many years cultivating your inner spiritual connection. At some point you just, you might still look like you have a human body, but your expression of your humanness is completely different, you know? Yeah. Wow. There's something I want to talk to you about and because uh, I heard you share this story about this connection with the Mother Earth and yeah, I guess maybe it was perhaps the timing that I heard it or something. I don't know what, but I was 
crying as I was listening to it. And then I had my wife listen to it and she cried as well. And I think cause it, bo- it brought both of us back to experiences that we've had that were similar. And hers was quite intense uh, through a, a long ayahuasca journey, connecting mm-hmm. with the mother earth, becoming the mother earth, going through life cycles, experiencing that the pain that the mother earth feels through her empathy for her children killing themselves um, and how much she loves us. And I had multiple experiences over a time when that time in Mexico, just really feeling so close to this mother earth energy, could talk to her at any moment, could, you know, hear her clearly and just, you know, I have, could feel lying down on the beach and putting my hands in the stand and like feeling it as if like, you know, she had a hand in the sand, holding my hand back and this incredible, you know, Temescal, Sweat Lodge experience. We we're just like this rebirth, like all being guided by her. And so, yeah, I just felt this strong resonance and, I would also consider you a mother earth fractal. It's something that's come up a few times and uh, I was facilitating something for my wife, Susie too. And like that, that came through. So these people are these souls who have a very close resonance with like the mother earth and like that frequency. And I I can feel and see that in you as well. So the question (laughs) that is coming out of here somewhere is something about one other point. And so we talked about this disconnection from ourselves, this disconnection being from being human and you know, what, what Susie learned in her ayahuasca experience was that a lot of that is coming from the mother wound, right? The disconnection from the mother, you know, no proper ceremony, ritual, you know, going through birth when you're born and, you know, mothers who are not connected to themselves aren't allowed, you know, able to provide that mother connection. So we're disconnected from the mother, which leads to this disconnection from ourselves. And we're disconnected from ourselves. We disconnect from the earth and we don't treat the earth right. And we don't treat others right. And so, and I worry about children. I do. And I were, especially right now with the social distancing and the mask. And I see all like the subtle levels of trauma that that creates, but I, yeah, listening to you, you had a very inspiring message, um, which, I can already kind of like, you know, feel the emotion in my chest and the, and the chills. Cause I, I, I am concerned and I'm, I don't know if I'm pessimistic about it, but like, I'm just very deeply troubled with like the state of affair with how people treat children and just the, the interventions that are used on them. The, and now the stuff with like, yeah, yeah the, the masks interfering with their connection to nature, their connection to themselves their connections to you know, what nature is, and then their ability to communicate with their peers and then from the elders, cause they're, you know, they're not able to see facial expressions. And then you know, even like Lucan the other day at the playground, like you know, this mom wouldn't let these like little girls like play with them. And he started, I got sad. It was like, they don't want to play with me. I'm worried. Can you, can you help me out here a little bit? Yeah. You know, share some of that mother earth wisdom and the, and the hope for the children and the light and what's going on here. I know these are really the best of times and worst of times at the same time. Um, I'll share my connection story with Pachamama first, but then I have more to share about the worries about children that I hope will, um, will give the same kind of inspiration that I've drawn from some of the, these insights. So first, the story of how I connected with Pachamama is and then we're it's this will go if you go through explaining all this it's going to go over the hour and so i don't know just making sure I'm you're okay on the time okay yeah. okay good yeah i have um i have an appointment in 30 minutes okay with another call so yeah okay so in in 2014 
we were pregnant with our boy who was kind of making a cameo just now. And I felt so called to go to Peru. Like I knew I had to go, I had to go, I had to go. And I didn't quite know why. And so long story short, it just turned out that we didn't manage to go until I was seven and a half pregnant. seven and a half months pregnant with a huge belly traveling to high altitude places trekking up Machu Picchu all this stuff but it was glorious and beautiful and this was a 10-day tour where within that 10-day tour there was three days where they took you to Lake Titicaca there's an island there called um, the island of Amantani which is a very small island and while there there was a guided silent meditation that they gave us and you know very nice people we loved the experience but the meditation just was eh, you know it's like not that awesome compared to the beauty that was there everywhere we're like we might never come here ever again for the rest of our lives so my husband and I and a couple other people we would play hooky from the meditations and just go explore the island and everybody was so friendly and it was so just like such a glorious experience and this island has a number of special sacred sites on it and so the tour guide and the meditation teacher always once a day would take us to a different site to make sure that we got to explore the island all the special places and so on this particular day, I'd been, my belly was so big and my husband and I had been just trekking around, you know, exploring so many things. And we're like, oh shoot, it's time to go back to the hostel and meet them for that special tour of the day. And so we rushed back to the, the hostel, met the group, and then I had to keep trekking. And I was cranky, thirsty, tired, just like my belly was kind of like, you know, my hips are just kind of aching. And I was like kind of grumpy. And finally, we reached the site. I had been trekking all day and just not in the best mood at all. And the tour guide was seeing that, wow, my belly is really big and I'm kind of struggling trekking up these boulders to get to the site. So he held my hand to help me get over the last hump. And the site was this special rock called the Seat of Inca, the Sion de Inca. It's carved like a throne shape, kind of. And around it is those Incan like um, stone walls. It's just a, 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 a low wall all around it with an entry point where you can walk in. And in the center is this big rock that was carved in the shape of a big chair. And nobody knows how they had the technology to do that. And it was facing exactly a sunset view. And so the tour guide and the, the meditation teacher said, you know, this is um, a, a place that is famous. We don't know why they built this. We think it's a beautiful place to meditate and, and with this facing the sunset. And that's why they set this up here. So people come here to be peaceful and to meditate. Well, I guess because I was the pregnant lady, the tour guide helped me there and put my hand on the rock. And boom, I don't know what happened. I lost access to my body. I just knew that suddenly I was seated on the throne on this rock. And the moment I'm seated on this rock, 
faces, 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 faces. So many faces were shown to me, faces, faces, thousands of faces. And I knew that these are beings that have sat there and received transmissions and they were all different colors, shapes, sizes, all across millennia, faces, 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 warriors, shamans, seers, teachers, regular people, see faces, 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 so many faces. And then when the faces were done, mandalas, 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 all these shapes, mandalas, colors, mandalas, mandalas. And a column of energy came over me and you can relate to this. It's like a packet of information so huge that there's no chance that your conscious mind could even process what just happened is this intense download or upload. It was an upload actually of information. And when all of that finished, then this beautiful loving energy of Pachamama came embracing me. And the embrace was, it was a kind of love that I've never even, I could have never even imagined was possible. And it was so motherly, so clearly a motherly kind of love, this complete unconditional love and in the presence of the potency of that kind of love all i could say was i'm sorry i just i felt i'm sorry i i started seeing and remembering all those polluting things i've done in this lifetime and all the stupid things that we humans do um you know just just wrecking this place and i just kept saying i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i'm so sorry and she had no judgment about any of it. She just said, oh, honey, welcome home. Welcome home. She was just so happy that for us to just return home to her. And so she started saying, no, 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 honey, it's okay. Kind of like the way that my, um, my kids, you know, my, my daughter just started eating solids recently. She's six months. And when she eats, um, it's so cute and so messy, you know, it's like, ah. <laughs> and you love them even more, you know, anybody who's a parent or caretakes for cute babies, you can relate to this. That was what she showed me, that she actually just loves us completely, despite all of the messiness. And she shared with me all those times when we're in nature and we caress a rock or hug a tree or just like admire a beautiful flower or spend time to watch the birds come and go and just be in that kind of connection. She says, I live for that. Look at all the good, you know? She wanted us to see that, not just be guilty about all the crap that we've done. And, and regarding the crap she showed me, she's like, you know, you guys are like basically toddlers and you're going to grow up to be teenagers and you'll start cleaning up after your own room, so to speak, you know? That was the energy. A thousand years. <laughs> yeah, that was the energy that she had. She understood that we were in an immature phase of our evolution and she loves us completely and unconditionally. And she, there was just not even the tiniest ounce of guilt or judgment about it. That she understood that as we wake up to a more mature level, that we will naturally clean up after ourselves, you know? 
And so she showed me all those times where I went into meditation, sending my love and appreciation to the earth. Or all those times when I've led groups, small groups, larger groups in a guided visualization where we go into a state of gratitude and appreciation and then send that down into the earth to ground and root and center ourselves. We think of those as a visualization exercise. And she says, you think that's a visualization exercise? <laughs> that is what I live for. I live for those moments that you remember. I live for those moments that you'll choose to come home. And so it was like in the Bible, they have this prodigal son story. It was like a prodigal daughter returning kind of story for me to just, it's kind of hard to find words to describe. All I experienced was just avalanches and avalanches of tears in that experience. And I was like, wow, this is so amazing and so beautiful. And I realized that there was a reason that I experienced that while pregnant seven and a half months with a baby in my belly, because she showed me what it means to be a mother. She showed me a possibility that I have never seen in the human realm, that this was the best parenting lesson I could have possibly received. And that, um, I know you found me through another podcast. I shared a little bit of the story of how, how my husband and I didn't even plan to have kids. But it was through um, after that darkroom retreat, and we moved to the countryside to have a more nature-filled lifestyle. And my meditations and dreams started getting really vivid. And, um, and my, our boy came to basically negotiate his conception. So we didn't have a lot of plans to be parents and I didn't know how to be a parent. And so here is Pachamama showing me what it means to be a mother, what that feels like, you know? Um, so eventually I thought, wow, that was the most intense and beautiful five minutes of my life. What an amazing experience. And when I woke, when I woke up, when I opened my eyes, my husband was standing there with a towel, waiting to wipe down just the avalanches of tears on my face and all over my shirt. And then the sun had set, so it was like an hour or two had elapsed. It felt like five minutes. And, um, and I was a changed, changed person forever. And since then, since then, it opened a portal where... I'm able to go into nature and sometimes not even in nature, just at home, sitting, sitting in my living room. Suddenly I get this impulse to connect with her again, to connect with her even more deeply. And so recently with so many things happening, all the racial tensions and debates and, oh, just, just feeling like, wow, we're all going through such a powerful and intense initiation, all of us, you know? And so I felt a calling from Pachamama. So I just like sat my butt down and locked in and she had a message for us. And the message was essentially, thank you. Congratulations for growing up. You guys are like teenagers now. You're waking up to cleaning up after yourself, so to speak. You know, 
And so, so she says, look, you know, I'm um, doing some cleaning, cleaning up on the planet. And um, I see that many of you guys are helping me. So she just wanted us to know, thank you. She's so grateful that there are so many of us that have grown past our toddlerhood stage and we're more like teenagers now and we're helping, like we can clean up after our own rooms again and so to speak. And so the big message she wanted to share was that, you know, sometimes when you do a cleanup project, it looks worse before it gets better. Like if you had to clean up a whole attic, you know, it's like, it's like you got to figure out like, okay, what do you want to keep? What do you want to discard? What needs to go to goodwill? And what do you want to reorganize in a different place? And it looks real messy for a moment in time. So she said, please beware of the full scale of what's going on and not judge each snapshot in time as if that's what is really going to be as things are evolving so fast, beware of where your mind gets stuck in the storyline of what is appearing to be in one snapshot in time. Day by day, even hour and hour, things are evolving so fast right now. So she really wants us to step back and see that this is like a cleaning up the attic kind of project that is going to change a lot and there's nothing but beautiful goodness that is on the other side of this. And that we do ourselves a great disservice and possibly waste a lot of energy by standing there looking at the mess and being like, oh my God, this is a disaster. It's like, no, just, just, we're all in this cleaning up together and there's a lot of light workers and light bearers. We're all doing it too. And so just recognize that. Pajamama is doing it. She's doing the cleanup. And there's a lot of people, I'm sure everybody listening to this show is doing their perfect piece of the puzzle that is all unfolding perfectly. And beware of where your mind plays games with you, thinking that it looks messy right now and it's only just a snapshot in time. With regards to the children, I was given this... Um, kind of funny vision that you know uh, there's a lot of um schools that are making announcements about different things and you see pictures on the internet of all these different things that they're doing like having children play in the playground but they're gonna put chalk squares around it so they cannot touch each other and so on right like children having to sit in little desks and put like boxes around it so that they are segregated from other children, all this kind of silliness. And I was given a vision of like a lot of these kids are just going to, because children are so joyful and fun. They're going to break those rules. Exactly. And it's going to be hilarious how that unfolds. It's going to be total comedy show. So I am so, um, just like feel so grateful for all those powerful, courageous souls that chose to be incarnated as children in those kinds of systems to break it from the inside out through a comedy show. And then there are those of us that feel called, like my family, we feel called to just do homeschooling, unschooling, and, and, um, and take a different path. But there is um, 
every piece of that puzzle is important. There's, it's all unfolding perfectly is the point that I keep getting these really exciting visions of how we're all here for that purpose of transformation. And we all have a really critical piece of that puzzle to be part of, and there's no accidents here. And in a way, you know, our job as, as parents is to give our children the best possible lives, but also our children are very courageous and powerful in their own right. You know, so in a way, oh, honey, can you be more gentle with the sounds? So in a way, I think, you know, our children also know that they incarnated here for this time because it is the most exciting time in the cosmos. And my boy tells me at nighttime and bedtime, he tells me stories about everything he remembers from before he came to planet Earth. Wow. And he tells me that he's five and a half right now. Yeah. In another conversation, I can tell you the whole story, but, um, but the gist of it is that he tells me that there's tons of souls on a waiting list trying to get here because this is such, such an exciting time, you know? And so, and even if they're not here, they're watching on these screens the drama that is unfolding on planet earth because it is the best possible learning experience right now. So um, I want to say congratulations. You won the cosmic lottery to get one of these lifetimes here. We're the winners. Let's take maximum advantage of this opportunity to learn and grow and make the absolute best out of it. You know, so it's a very intense moment in time for all of us, but it's also the most exciting ever. So I just want to say congratulations to everybody for a job already well done and keep going. So wonderful. All of the each pieces. Thank you uh, for sharing all that. And, you know, as you were talking to, I was reflecting on my relationship with the mother earth and you know having felt that just pure unconditional just like care and love like support like it makes you just want to cry talking about it and I was so intimately connected there in Mexico when I got back to New Hampshire I was not and it was so painful I was like where are you what happened like mm. I, thought, I thought I was like super psychic and like wow and awesome and like <laughs> you know I was like hey, how come I don't have this ability to like connect the way that I do. I mean, I, you know, I always could, if I'm on like a session with someone, if I like I really sat down, but I was like, where is that? And then, yeah, I just was reminded of, you know, when I was there and just like being like this, like toddler and your know, mother earth holding my hand through all of these experiences. But then someday you get to go out to school on your own, you know, or, or your unschooling adventure on your own without, without mommy holding your hand. And so I was like, yeah, I'm not going to continue to hold your hand and, you know, whisper sweet words in your ear every single you know time you feel upset it's just like you you went through the training you know you went through the healing now live it now go i'm still here for you always but you need to be free you need to become an adult <laughs> well that is um, that's such a, i'm so glad you brought that up because um that we see that so much don't we people go on meditation retreats or even just like any old like personal growth workshop right you have this aha moment this insight but that's just a beginning, actually. You know, the, tra- the, the training. Work, yeah, the real work is can you embody it and actually live that way more consistently every day, you know? And so it can be addicting, right? To go back like, oh, I just want to feel that blissfulness. But now that, that's actually just to open a portal of possibility 
then you need to learn how to generate that state yeah. consistently and live out of that state consistently. And that is, that, that's the game. That's the, that's the whole point of this, this human existence. Yeah. And so you, yeah, you go through these experiences and you think like, that's, that's like the real work. And then it's like, ah, I did it. And then, you know, what, what I like reflected on in these Star Wars analogy, I think I got the point right, but it's like, it was like, no, bro. It's like, you are Luke Skywalker who hasn't even left Dagobah yet, or whatever the, the planet was when he was training with Yoda. It's like, you're yeah. still there. Like, or it's like, you just left there. Like that, like, you know, that like intense healing work that you were doing, like that wasn't the hero's journey, the full hero's journey. That's part of it. But now it's living it. It's being it out in the world. And it was like, oh, yeah. A friend of mine had oh, a... Oh, man. <laughs> Crap. Yeah, a friend of mine had a really good way of expressing it that really made sense for me, if I can share. He said, um, he said, okay, so we all have this old programming that, that we want to delete and let go of so that we can live a new, new version of ourselves that's more inspired, more connected, more empowered, all the beautiful things. The thing is that if you do your spiritual work to quote unquote delete the old disempowering or traumatic patterns, right? You want to get rid of those old patterns. The mechanics of it is such that you do the spiritual work, then life has to put you back into those situations. And then you choose to meet those situations in a different way. That's, he calls it, the what does he call it like the confirm delete it's like that's when you press the enter button of changing the programming so mm -hmm. until so you do your inner work you do your spiritual awakening practices and you have all these beautiful insights then you should almost just expect that life is going to throw you some curveballs at that point that's when the real deleting old patterns actually happen you can't move on until life has thrown you that curveball. So you show it through direct physical experience of it. And that's when the real transformation actually occurs. Yeah. So it's like, careful what you pray for, you know, <laughs> because, you know, you'll get something sent your way, right? If you want to know faith, then prepare to know doubt. And that's, why, that's why so many people, myself included, when you have your first big aha kind of uh, awakening mystical experience, it's often followed by a dark night of the soul, mm -hmm. you know? Definitely. And so um, we're very blessed these days that we have the accompaniment of so many like-minded souls on the planet all waking up at the same time. So we don't have to feel as lonely, even though you do, nobody can do the work for you. You have to do it yourself, but at least we can feel supported in that journey. Yeah. Definitely um, reminds me of I was filming a filming a recording a solo episode and another teaching came through of like my for me you know the purpose of life what I would came to understand through an experience was get messy have fun yeah that's it jump into that messy human experience yes. and have some fun <laughs> and then we have to remind ourselves thank you so much for this it's been a blast um, it feels nourishing to my soul <laughs> and uh, yeah where, where can people follow you, learn more, connect with you, get access to your program? Um, well, um, it's just people kind of find me magically. I'm not very good at marketing myself and the right ones always, we just attract each other. So I think there's 
definitely unseen non-physical forces at work here, how you and I found each other. But um, on a more official level, I have some websites. Um, if you're interested in super wellness, there's a book called Super Wellness. You can find it on Amazon, but you can also explore our website, superwellness.com. So that's specific to the wellness work. I also have a podcast that you guys will love. I guarantee you'll love it so much. I've had all kinds of world-class, amazing guests that are exploring the frontiers of human possibilities, like my friend Wim Hof and um, Jazz Muheen, who helped the Darkroom Retreat. Her conversation was amazing. All kinds of really amazing beings that have been have blessed my show with with their wisdom so you can get to the show via the dr e show.com the dre show.com and then i'm on facebook um, a lot of people are transitioning to me we i'm in that transition too and um on instagram intermittently um but if you go to the dr e show.com then that will take you to a lot of the other things that I do because that's connected to my kind of personal website. Yeah. yeah and everyone's... just like you can reach out, send me an email and, and I'd love to invite you guys to some of my upcoming classes and workshops. Like for example, every Thursday night I go on Facebook live to do a breathing practice with the community. And I teach a lot of free classes and, um, a few times a year, we run those six week super wellness courses where, where I'll support you in a guided journey of six weeks to dramatically upgrade on all levels, your self-care and your wellness. So I'd love to support you guys in that too. Yeah. Amazing. All right, everyone check it out. And yeah, again, thank you so much for being here. That's a wrap.